Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Mitzi, and this is Mitzi. Let's think about it. Today, we have a special guest on my show. We are thinking about the Vietnam War. And that's a truly something to really think about. They've made movies. They've made tons of books. They have so many representations of the Vietnam War. Half of the time, people don't even really know what actually happened. But luckily for me, I have a actual vet who shared his story by writing a book called The Trail that really gives you a descriptive point of view from his point of view. Is that right, Robin? The title of the book is actually Vietnam Combat, Firefights, Writing History. But The Trail is one of the videos that I have on my website that kind of introduces the book. Yeah, and I was just watching it, and it was actually really interesting. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm almost done. There has to be more. And then I was like, yes, I scrolled down, and there was the second one. And it is really interesting because when you think of this war, and I don't know if it's something that you have thought of when you were actually going through there, or what are your opinions on this, but a lot of people that I'm around, they say that that war should have never happened. Now, what is your opinions on that? Do you think that as well? Well, initially, when I went over there, I was, um, you know, I came from a military family. Uh, My grandfather, father and brother all went to West Point. So pretty much imbued in the military uh, style of life, lived all over the world, went to 13 elementary schools and four high schools. So I was pretty much uh, uh, focused and feeling the family obligation to serve my country. But the being in that war, especially at the height of the war, 1968 to 69, pretty well changed my opinion. And by the time I came back, I agree with you. I, I really felt that that war was a mistake and um, that we were uh, led into it erroneously by many of our leaders, both military and civilian. So, yeah. yeah, I kind of agree with that. I thank you for saying that because I think hearing it from somebody that actually went over there and experienced everything, it's nice to hear that you've it's, you know, been avoided, you know, but it's also nice to hear that you you did it as an obligation. You weren't necessarily um, just thrown into it. You never knew about it. It was never something that came across your family or anything like that. It was something that you knew and it was something that you felt like, okay, it's my time to step up. So your perspective going in was, yeah, different compared to others that felt like, oh, this is a whole bombshell, you know, and I'm really curious, what made you want to write your story about your experience? Because certain individuals, they keep that private, you know, or they're still dealing with that still to this day. What made you want to stand out? Well, just to tag on to the previous uh, comment for a second, in my family, uh, service to your country was a very serious thing. And uh, we took it very seriously. and, And those words being in the military and service to our country were were kind of hallmark of our family and who we were. Uh, I was kind of expected to serve my obligation and as an officer. But um, the reason I wrote this book is that uh, for really two reasons. One was I talked to a lot of veterans and I found that I had experienced a number of unusual events uh, and yeah. and things that happened to me that didn't happen to them. So I had some unusual stories to tell. And then secondly, um, I felt that by writing a, my book, it would help me to um, kind of come to grips with that entire experience and some of the more horrific things that happened to me over there and to to talk about it 
put it down on paper and <laughs> didn't work out quite that way. Unfortunately, it didn't. It was supposed to be a catharsis for me. That's how I, I had hoped it would be. But unfortunately, in writing those stories, some of them were horrific and some of them were, were kind of funny. It's not all combat. A lot of those memories came back to me and uh, some of them haunted me. And to this day, I, I can be back there if I'm not uh, kind of in control. Yeah, no, I, I totally can see where you're coming from and, and what you just said, because PTSD is a real thing. And especially when you experience something so traumatic and when you're writing it down and you're putting it out on paper, you basically kind of have to relive it, you know, because I'm a writer and I'm working on my novel. And when I write, I have to kind of put myself in that in that position. So I could only imagine just writing and then all of a sudden just breaking down because what you felt was real, what you experienced was real, and no one can take that away from you, you know? You're absolutely right. And I was raising a family at the time that I was writing this book, so I didn't have a lot of free time. Uh, but I had a job that took me on long airplane flights. So that's when I wrote most of the stories. And my, one of my favorite authors is Stephen King. And yeah. uh, aside from his more uh, horrific <laughs> stories, he wrote a wonderful book called On Writing which is one of the best uh, books uh, to help any author. Uh, it, it's really a wonderful book. And he talks about, in this book, he talks about falling into his typewriter or the computer. And that's exactly what happened to me on some of these airplane flights. I would become so engrossed in the story that I was reliving and writing yeah. at the same time as fast as I could yeah. um, that I, I, I actually felt as if I was back in in Vietnam, I could see the colors. I experienced the event again in, in incredible detail. Yeah. Um, I saw the colors. There were times I could eat, I I would come away sweating. Yeah, from the memories that uh, flooded back. There were times I even smelled some of the smells. I know that sounds weird, but it it's no. true. It's true. It's it's our minds when they repress something to help us keep going. Because come on, you had to still function in, in regular society after going through what you went through. I mean, our minds really helps us so that we can keep going. So it's not in the back of our minds bothering us. So, but when you took that time, it really does make you think about it. And when you think about it, you start noticing details that you didn't pay attention to while you were living it. So yeah, you saying that you notice colors, you notice smells, all of that makes perfect sense to me. I totally understand where you're coming from when it comes to that. So my next question is, when you watch these movies that represent the Vietnam War, do you think that they're far off or they're kind of in the idea of what exactly happened? Well, you know, it's funny because any veteran will look at one of the uh, common movies that are out there and start picking it apart and and looking for things that aren't true. For example, yeah. when I was out in the field and we would be out in the field for four to six weeks straight, you weren't clean. You were dirty. You smelled I, and you see some of these scenes with men wearing clean pressed uniforms. Uh uh. Didn't happen. Didn't happen that way. We were dirty. We were full of sweat and dirt and mud. And um, I had enough water to drink and brush my teeth. That was it. Yeah, I know. I was listening that into the trail and I was just like, 
How could I really handle that? Because at that point, it was surviving. Like like the story was saying, like you were basically trying to survive. You had to refocus your mind, not focus on your home, not focus on the past or the future. And you had to focus on surviving because at any given moment, you could die. You could die from the from the environment that you were in, nature, animals, and then also from the people who are actually attacking you. So all you were always on guard. And I don't know if this is a little personal, but when you got back home, how long did it really take you to adjust? Well, I was kind of fortunate in that regard. And because I was still, I was a regular army officer and I continued to serve in the army. And my, my parents actually um, met me upon my return. And I was living with them for a period of a couple of weeks before I went on to my next duty station. So I remained in the military community and I never experienced some of the, you know, the, the really negative things that a lot of soldiers experienced when they came back. But uh, I did suffer from PTSD. Interestingly, uh, I had locked away some of the more horrific experiences for a very long period of time. And it wasn't until about 20 years after that I finally started to have some of the, I call it, I, I, I call it uh, that I had a titanium steel trunk in the back of my mind. And that's where I locked away all of those more horrific experiences. And after 20 years, they started to leak out. Yeah. And I started to have some daydreams. I was fortunate to have a good friend who was a psychiatrist. And I, I met with mm -hmm. her and she gave me some very simple and practical exercises to practice. And it, they didn't go away, but it helped me to at least handle it. Yeah. To be honest, sometimes we need to remember that our past, we just need to manage it, you know, because it's always going to be there. It's It's a part of us, you know, but if we can't allow it to control us where it affects our future. And it's nice to see that you were able to have, you know, the help of the psychiatrist who was able to just give you those it's little a lot, corners. The same sort of thing that a police officer or um, emergency room type person or, or even firefighter, those, those are the kinds of similar experiences. If you don't mind, what is one memory that really stays with you, if you don't mind? The memory that is that comes back to me most frequently is the the very first soldier that I lost in Vietnam, and he was kind of a gung ho uh, soldier, wanted to wanted to get his kill, wanted to win medals, and he was uh, he was not careful, uh, and he was um, he was killed, and it was the first time that I, as an officer, had to um, they, they brought him back. Uh, we didn't have body bags, but we had ponchos. And it was my responsibility as the officer in charge to go through his pockets, make sure that there was nothing there that shouldn't be there. I had to fill out a three by five card. We called it a death card. And we attached the card to his boot along with one dog tag. The other remained around his neck, wrapped him in a poncho, and then took him to the helicopter, the, the medevac that took the wounded as well as the dead uh, back to the rear. And I, I had to do that a number of times. My men would not do that. They, maybe it was superstition. I don't know. But the first time was the hardest and most memorable. It happened several more times. Uh, but the first time I call that chapter in my book, my first worst day in Vietnam. And it really was. I can see how that can be uh, very memorable and impactful. 
because when I was a CNA and I experienced my first death after taking care of someone, that really impacted me, you know, that because I didn't personally knew them, but I knew them enough that I, I that I cared, you know. And when they died, it was very, very, like, memorable in my heart that I can still remember it to this day, and it's been over 10 years. So I understand what you're saying, that sometimes that first death that's in front of you and you have to clean up and and kind of, like, get together, I mean, that really, that really stays with you. And I couldn't even imagine the smells and everyone just looking at you while you're doing it because yeah let's be honest handling death is a taboo handling a body is a taboo especially a dead one you know and people always think once someone's dead and you touch it you're you're bringing that upon you but not really because look at you strong and living still to this day (laughs) that's amazing so one of the biggest another taboo as i should say that happened in the Vietnam War. I don't know if um, if you can confirm or deny if this is true or not, but that there was a lot of opiate usage, usage throughout that war as well. Do you think that's true from what you experienced? Well, um, I know that it is true toward the to- latter part of the Vietnam War, but in the unit that I was in, we were, for the most part, in deep jungle near the Laotian border. And so it was pretty much impossible to have access to any kind of drugs um, or opiates or even pot for that matter. We would would be in the field for four to six weeks. And by that, I mean, we were walking through the jungle looking for the enemy, setting up nightly ambushes. And then we would come into a base camp, a large base camp for about a week. And there again, you were inside a military uh, encampment. Uh, we would send out patrols on a daily basis, and we would send out ambushes. But our contact where I was in Vietnam, which was in the i area, that's up toward the northern part of South Vietnam, we were not in contact with uh, with any place you could get that sort of thing. Yeah, no, that makes but sense. I know toward the end of the war that there there was a lot of there were a lot of drugs, and uh, that was a, a common problem, especially in base camps that were near more c- civilian areas where where that type of thing could be obtained. Yeah, no, that makes sense. The way that you're making it, uh, the way that you're playing it out, it does make sense where you're coming from because at the end of the day, you have to kind of be also by those fields. And if you're deep in the jungle, you're not going to necessarily find those fields as well. So I see what you're saying. But this has been very interesting uh, of a conversation. I'm not going to lie. Um, I wasn't knowing what I was going to get into when I got into this, uh, when we set this interview up, you know, and I think these are the best interviews because you don't know what you're getting into. And I got some great responses from you and you really make me think about the Vietnam war in a different perspective. And I guess to start um, wrapping up the show, what is some advice that you want to leave people off so that they can have a better perspective of the war and the vets so that they can have more respect for it, let's say at least. Well, anyway, this is a, a quick picture of my book. I don't know. There we go. Vietnam Combat, Firefights, and Writing History. And because many of the Vietnam veterans were not welcomed home, um, and, and in today's world, it's just fine if you see a veteran wearing a 
uh, um, a Vietnam hat. And, and you know, Vietnam veterans are starting to kind of walk in the boots of uh, World War II and Korean veterans now. They're getting pretty old. So the veterans that you see around, for the most part, are going to be, the older ones anyway, are going to be Vietnam veterans. And it, it's perfectly fine to say, thank you for your service. That's a wonderful thing to say. But many Vietnam veterans will treat that like have a nice day without um. a great deal of meaning. So if you want to say something to acknowledge a Vietnam veteran, say the words, th these are the code words, welcome home. If you say welcome home to a Vietnam veteran, you will bring tears to our eyes and lumps to our throats. They are very, very powerful words. Shows that you understand and that you empathize with uh with our struggle and our war. Yes, thank you. I just hearing that last bit, I can I can hear it in your in your voice, but it's true. Welcome home, Robin, because you deserve a welcome home. All of the vets who may be listening and who wants to hear, what is this guy talking about? Well, welcome home. You guys deserve it because you know what? Not a lot of you guys made it home. Let's be honest, you know, so thank you for your, your service, <laughs> but welcome home, y'all. Alrighty. Thank you all for your time. And if anybody is interested in my book, they can find me online at www.robinbartlettauthor.com. Com. Yes, you can find a direct link from my website to his website. You can see his handsome photo on my website under special guests. Click right there, get to, directly to his website, and you can find the videos that I was watching on the trail. You can find access to his book and Ting Robin, and you can even reach out to him if you're a vet and you just want to say, welcome home. All right, y'all, always stay thinking. Bye. Take care.